Good afternoon, every everyone. And it may be evening or middle of the night for at least one person who's on online. One person who's here for this session lived halfway around the world and did session with us online from Scandinavia. So you think it's hard to get up and listen to a Dharma talk or do Zazen at 3.40? Yeah. If we really want to see the truth, we'll do what we need to do. I'm always amazed at how difficult it is to break uh, a habit, even a habit of short duration. So after I had knee surgery, um, two things I've noticed about that is uh, when I had the bleed into my knee, I was on crutches and in a wheelchair for a while, but not long, maybe a week. And it took me several weeks after that to learn to walk without a limp. And I took the advice of a, of a physical therapist to just say, oh, you're not touching down with your heel. You have to touch down with your heel first. And then I stopped limping. <laughs> but that was only a habit of one week duration that persisted. And then um, I also have for all my life, had the habit of folding up my right, all my practice life, folding up my right leg first and then my left leg second on top of it. And I can't do that anymore because of uh, the knee. And But I still do it you know, when I sit down, if I'm not being really mindful. So it, it, what physical problems do is force us to be mindful and to change our habits. And then we can reflect back on our mind habits, which have been going on all our life, and um, give ourselves a little compassion about how long it's taking. Yeah. We come to practice with the idea of, oh, I'll be enlightened, you know. The first session? I don't know, maybe third session? (laughs) Nope. So, Rohatsu Session 2022. Oh, I'm supposed to make some announcements. Let's see if I can remember. One of the problems with doing a lot of Zazen is things just appear and disappear. Um, <laughs> let's see. We're not going to do Sanzen this afternoon, except Hogan will do Sanzen for people online at 4.30 as usual. Uh, Bancho's mother died very peacefully this morning. He and his brother were with her. And Joman should be there by about now. So she flew back this morning to be with him. And she is very touching. She was so glad that she sat up all night because she did loving kindness for her mother the entire night. She had never sat up all night before. So she was so happy about that. Uh, So tonight we'll have a special ceremony, which we'll um, talk about. Hogan will explain it. It's called Shosan. And uh, it's a very interesting ceremony. And when we used to do session jointly with Dharma Rain Zen Center, they would end session with Shosan. 
So everybody has a chance to ask a question if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can come up and ask a question, and then the teacher will respond. And one of the advantages is that you know we only know our own sanzen in this tradition. It's one-on-one, face-to-face. Yes, face-to-face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's one-on-one, face-to-face. And so you don't know what's being said to other people. And that's a whole bunch of teaching that you could be getting. You just have to keep comparing mind out of it, right? Because different people have different issues and are different stages of practice, so they may get um, a different kind of response from the teacher or instruction from the teacher. So we'll do that um, tonight. I think you'll find it very interesting. So our theme for Rohatsu Sashin, for the Buddha's awakening, for our celebration and delight in the Buddha's awakening, which has made it possible for us to awaken, the Buddha, Buddha said, I didn't develop this out of nowhere. I mean, there were Buddhas before him, right? But he said, I just discovered an old path overgrown, like an overgrown path in the jungle, and I walked it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth as he practiced diligently until it was open for everyone. And then he provided guidance for us about what that path was. Everyone has is original nature. This is what we celebrate and also what we work towards realizing Realizing is kind of an um, intellectual word. It's, it's thorough realization, body, heart, and mind realization. So from Huang Po, our original Buddha nature is, in highest truth, devoid of any atom of objectivity. It is fluid, omnipresent, silent, pure. It is glorious and mysterious, peaceful, joy, And that is all. Enter deeply into it by awakening to it yourself. Your total life is it, in all its fullness, utterly complete. There is nothing beside. This dharma is absolutely without distinctions, neither high nor low. We call it bodhi. It is the pure foundation of awareness. Foundation of awareness, not awareness itself, which... You know, we talk about in terms of practice, aware mind or aware of awareness. But this is the foundation of awareness, which beings, which is the source of everything, and which, whether appearing as sentient beings or as Buddhas, as rivers and mountains of the world, that which has form, that which is formless, or as penetrating the whole universe, is absolutely without distinctions there being no such entities as selfness and otherness. Above and below and around you, all is spontaneously existing, for there is nowhere which is outside the Buddha mind. I want to talk just a bit about various phenomena that often occur during Sashin, because I didn't see everyone myself. Um, I don't know how many people these phenomena occur to, but they're very common. One is an apparent distortion in body sensations. 
You might see something that is not there, like a face on the floor. Uh, this floor doesn't lend to it, but often when you're sitting facing the wall, um, in pure Soto style, you'll see things appear on the wall. You might experience sensations that the body is very light or very heavy, even sinking into the ground. You might lose awareness of a part of your body and have to look down and make sure it's still there, my hand's still there. You might hear sounds that have no apparent source, like hearing distant bells or voices. You might become very hot or very cold or part of your body become hot. I used to, when I was sitting at ZCLA towards, and and sitting became well-developed, one half of my face would get quite hot. These phenomena are called makyo in Japanese, which technically means illusions. Um, It occurs, so I'll talk about illusions in a minute, but it occurs when we have this tightly woven sense of reality, and through zazen it begins to loosen, and then other aspects of reality peek through the holes. How to work with them? First, to know that what we ordinarily perceive as human beings is a very, very small part of reality. There's so many examples, but simple examples. There are many animals that can perceive UV light, among them bees and butterflies and some flowers. If you shine a UV light on them, they have stripes pointing to nectar is here. And cats and dogs have UV vision and mark their territory with urine which glows under the UV spectrum of light. So they can see where their territory is or where their territory has been invaded or follow a trail. Um, Bats use ultrasound to map the territory around them so pitches higher than we can perceive. And cattle, cattle actually can hear ultrasound better than dogs. Dogs are known for their hearing and there are, of course, ultrasound whistles that are silent to humans, but dogs will respond to. And whales and elephants communicate with infrasound deeper than what we can hear. In fact, there was a woman who was up at the the zoo in Portland maybe 15 years ago. She was a researcher, biologist, and she was watching the elephants and she realized that she could feel vibrations with her feet. And it reminded her of how she felt when she was out whales, whale watching. She was a whale biologist. So she got curious about whether elephants were communicating in infrasound. And they were. Turns out they listen with their, partly with their feet. And they're constantly communicating just like whales. But just those names, ultrasound and infrasound, above and below what humans can perceive, tells you how people-centered our idea of reality is. So all around us, there are sounds and things we can't see. Recently, I saw a video of a baby that was being held in its mother's arms um, during a a boat trip, a whale-watching trip. And the baby suddenly alerts and begins going, ew, ew, ew. And the adults look at it and they go, my gosh. Can he, can he hear whales? And then suddenly the whales break. Breach right next to the boat. 
So maybe we could hear, well, I'm sure we could hear better when we were younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how to deal with makyo. When odd sensory phenomena occur, don't add anything to them. So just notice and let them, like everything else, emerge, manifest, and disappear. So just notice and stay with what's occurring. Don't try to prolong it, which is clinging. Like, oh, great, now we're getting somewhere. This is like my first drug trip, you know. <laughs> or be frightened by it. Oh, no, I'm going crazy. Just be with it, like with all other phenomena, until it eventually disappears. Often during session, people report encountering fear. This is a very, very common issue that people bring up. They say that they feel that they're approaching something very significant, something that draws them inexorably forward, but at the last moment they become frightened and pull back. This is completely normal. The self is naturally afraid of something that might mean that it no longer occupies the place of all-controlling dictator in our life. Why would you jump into deep water of unknown depth, water that might be hiding dangers that the mind cannot anticipate? That doesn't make any sense to the rational mind. So just know that this phenomenon happens, and just be willing to go to that edge and remain there a little longer, a little longer, a little longer, each time. And eventually... Either you'll take the step or you'll fall off like Hogan described the guy somersaulting off the ton onto the floor. <laughs> Waking up and going, oh, everybody's sitting on the wall. <laughs> so eventually, eventually, you'll fall in or the waters will arise and take you over. While Huang Bo, Huang Po, the verse quote that we have been reading for Sashin. Uh, this is um, somebody describing him. While he was an uncompromising and somewhat fearsome Chan teacher, he understood the nature of fear in students when they heard the doctrine of emptiness and the void. And he said, those who hasten toward it, the void, dare not enter, fearing to hurtle down through the void with nothing to cling to or to stay, to stay, hold their fall. So they look to the brink and retreat. So the analogy I often use is, you've never seen the ocean before, and you go and see the ocean is, whoa, it's a lot bigger than you thought. And uh, it's it looks like it's a lot deeper, you realize, whoa. And it goes all the way across the Pacific to Hawaii, whoa. And then you see some people out there, and they say, come on in, it's really nice, it's really fun, just, just jump in. And you put your foot in, and then, you snatch it back because your toes disappeared. And then you realize, oh, I, I still have my toes. And they're saying, come on. You know, the teachers are saying, come on. And then you go in a little deeper and your feet disappear. And then you jump out and you're afraid. But then you realize, oh, I still have my feet. And then gradually you end up swimming and having a wonderful time. Every person here, every person in the entire world is fully endowed with original Buddha nature. 
but how to experience it and how to experience the relief of suffering that it brings. So during Sashin and outside of Sashin, we teach different methods. Concentration practices like mantra. So sometimes people, if their mind is very agitated, will chant mantra and match the speed of the mantra to how wild their mind is. So if their mind is really carrying on, the so you're replacing something that's not very helpful, turmoil in the mind with something that is helpful, the mantra calling on the qualities of, in that case, Jizo Bodhisattva. And then as the mind quiets down, Om Ka Ka Kavi. So mantra practice or being aware of breath or of sound. And we also teach wide open awareness practices like shikantaza. What I feel is most important to talk about on this last full day of Sashin is developing the ability to leave behind the mind that is constantly thinking and open the mind into pure awareness. This is directly related to openings or glimpses into original nature or luminous mind or mu. And the reason is that this, it is just this thick tangle of thoughts and emotions or emotions that accompany thoughts. Emotions are body sensations plus thoughts. This thick, thick tangle of thoughts and emotions that obscure the other half or maybe the other 99% of our experience of life. That's exactly what's in the way. And, of course, accompanying thought are the habits of aversion, clinging, and going unconscious. So what is most essential in our practice, most essential in our practice, is to clear away that tangle so we can perceive clearly and so that prajnaparamita, the wisdom beyond wisdom, can emerge. It's just being blocked by all that's going on up here, all the selfing activity. So one reason we get up so early is that our minds tend to be quieter in the morning. They haven't quite taken up the driver's seat, the driver's seat of our life yet. An exhausted mind is also a quieter mind. Maybe some of you who sat last night, through the night, uh, realized that. An exhausted mind is, is a quieter mind, which is one reason we sit so long or sit through the night. When we have watched our mind run through its repertoire a thousand times, here, think about this. Oh, not tempting? Well, think about this. <laughs> Nuclear Armageddon. But eventually, as we sit day by day, we begin to ignore its chatter. And we discover that quiet mind is actually quite restful. And the ordinary mind becomes convinced that there's a benefit to resting. That's key. The ordinary mind has to realize, oh, gosh, I'm clearer. 
um, I don't have anxiety clouding everything that I think about the future or the past. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe she's right. Maybe this is good for us, says the small mind. So we can discover that the quiet mind is actually quite restful and is able to ponder questions that we were unable to look deeply into before. You may have noticed that after vigorous mood chanting that the mind is quiet for a while. One person talked about working with these two aspects of mind. What I say is, we have our ordinary mind, which I call station K-R-A-Z-Y on the radio, you know, that turns itself on. We don't have to reach out and turn it on. It turns itself on. And if we turn our mind away from it, it turns itself on again. Um, so we have thinking mind and then we have awareness mind, the two fundamental functions of our mind. And we're just so used to being in thinking mind that we're only in awareness mind at, in peak moments, Um, when we become really absorbed in something and we lose track of time. Losing track of time is a key that we've switched to awareness mind. But we want to be able to switch at will. We don't want to be held prisoner by the thinking, worrying, recriminating, critical mind, judgmental mind. One person talked about the the strategy they had developed about drawing a curtain in their mind. So there's a curtain of thinking mind on one side, and on the other side, quiet, open mind. And in their mind, this person was visual, just walking to the other side of the curtain, or pulling the curtain on on the busy thinking mind, and that worked well. So people need to be creative. I couldn't count my breath to four, past four. So I had to be really creative. I knew that quiet mind was really important. And one of the ways I used to imagine getting away from my mind chatter and into quiet mind was that my mind chatter was like being in a very loud and boring cocktail party. And so I would imagine, ugh, this is really awful. And that I discovered there was another room that I could walk into, and I would imagine myself walking into that room and closing the door. And it was very, very quiet in that room, very quiet. Occasionally, I could hear like a little bit of the conversation on the other side of the door, and my mind would get distracted, but I could easily bring it back. And I relished the silence in that room so much that it was very easy to let those little bits of conversation, thoughts, go. So you may have to develop your own way of walking through that door, which is not a door, from active thinking mind, anxious, distracted mind, frayed mind, fearsome mind, over into spacious, quiet mind. The old masters talk about the active practice of emptying the mind, active practice, all the time. But I didn't realize it until I had began to, had begun to practice what I called walking back and forth. 
walking back and forth. So one thing that doesn't work well is if in Sashin you discover, oh, quiet mind, oh yes, this is wonderful. I just feel so refreshed. Refreshed because there's an infinite amount of energy in the world and all the thinking that we're doing is setting up a screen against that energy. And when we let down that screen, the energy comes flooding in. And that's also frightening for people sometimes. So I had begun to practice walking back and forth, which is essential in your daily life after you leave session, to keep practicing quiet mind, active mind, quiet mind, active mind. Uh, Chan Master Shen Yang taught that a progression. He said we go as we through the years of practice, or even in one session, from what he called scattered and oblivious mind. <laughs> oblivious. Usually he talks about scattered mind, but he added oblivious, which I thought was great. Because when we're thinking all the time, we're oblivious to most other things that are going on, right? So, progressing from scattered oblivious mind to simplified mind. So, I'm going to practice with the breath. I'm going to make things really simple. To one-pointed concentration, where the breath, you're so with the breath, you're just sliding along the breath. Without any gaps, at least for a period of time to then clear open awareness. So this is one path of experience that people have when they're doing, especially when you're doing sashim. And when you begin to experience quiet or even silent mind, you will discover that masters old and new, from China, from India, from Korea, from Japan, all talk about silent mind as essential as absolutely essential. And I'll read you some examples. So this is from Harada Roshi, who is now 83. To be present in each and every moment rather than previous mind moments is Zazen. To be present in each and every moment rather than previous mind moments is Zazen. In the same way that a mirror reflects everything that comes in front of it without adding opinions or judgments, Receive everything exactly as it is. When thoughts come up, do not give them any attention. Eventually, they won't come up anymore. Hang on to nothing at all without anything to be moved around by. Settle deeply into this inner space. This is what Zazen is. As Rinzai put it, in each and every mind moment, not adding any secondary thinking, This is worth more than 10 years of pilgrimage or 10 years in the dojo. When you see or hear something, leave it at that first impression. Don't think about what is yet to happen. Be fresh and ready for what does happen. Then in each moment, the wisdom that is needed comes forth spontaneously. This is Prajnaparamita. It's kind of ironic that our mind thinks that It can keep us safe and prevent us from falling into danger by thinking all the time and talking to us all the time and warning us or criticizing us all the time. But actually, when you think, you just think of something simple like driving a car. Are you safer driving a car 
if you're constantly thinking about something else that you're worried about, or when your mind is just open and completely aware of the car, the road, everything around you, which is safer? This is from uh, Dogen Zenji, his writing Zazengi, which is, uh, means the point of Zazen, in 1242, when he was 42 years old. This was a Dharma talk, part of a Dharma talk. He wrote, or he said, and it was written down, Yao Shan, who was later honored as great master Hong Dao, and in our lineage is Yaksan Igen, who lived from in the 700s and into the early 800s. Great Master Hong Dao, Yaksan Igen, was sitting. A monk asked him, In steadfast sitting, what do you think? Yaoshan replied, Think not thinking. The monk asked, How do you think not thinking? Yaoshan replied, Beyond thinking. And when we chant the Fukan Zazengi, we actually chant the essential lines. It's in Dogen Zenji, put them into the Fukan Zazengi instructions for doing Zazen. But that's the story that it came from, about 500 years before Dogen Zenji. And then Dogen Zenji comments on this. Yaoshan said, beyond thinking, the need for non-thinking is crystal clear. The need for non-thinking is crystal clear, says Dogen Zenji. In order to think non-thinking, non-thinking is always used. In non-thinking, there is someone who, astain- who sustains you. You see, the mind is afraid of non-thinking because who, who is there in non-thinking to watch over your safety? But Dogen Zenji is saying, there is someone who sustains you in non-thinking. So that's a wonderful koan. Who or what is that that sustains us in non-thinking? Then he goes on. This teaching was correctly transmitted from Shakyamuni Buddha to Yaoshan over 36 generations. What was transmitted was think non-thinking. That's what Dogen Zenji says was transmitted. Think non-thinking. Then he goes on. When you break through the snares and cages of words and concepts, right now you have the ability to enter the realm of Buddha and enter the realm of demons throughout all the ages. Going forward and going backward, you personally have the freedom of overflowing ditches, overflowing valleys. So that's another koan. What does he mean by overflowing ditches and overflowing valleys? Does he mean our life overflowing with blessings? Does he mean energy pouring into us? What does he mean? Dogen Zenji himself was enlightened as he sat in deep nighttime meditation by Rujing saying, drop off body and mind. Body and mind drop away. And that was the, the key to the pivot turning. And he didn't mean the actual body. He meant the ideas, the worries about the body, the identification with the body, the belief that you are your body, not to drop your physical body away. The Buddha on his awakening said, 
Oh, house builder, you will never build this house again. This constant process, as Michael Conklin called it, of defining intending, and defending personal territory, the process of selfing, that stops happening when we're not thinking. And it's a blessed relief for us and everyone around us. So now I'm going to read from Master uh, Sun Sun Yim, who was um, Korean. He was a friend of Maizumi Roshi's. He had a place in L.A., not far from the Zen Center in L.A., and he would come over sometimes. He was very cute. Some of you I know have seen a video about him, a documentary. He didn't speak English very well. He died in 2004 at age 77. Um, he didn't speak English very well, so he developed these cute phrases like don't know mind or just try mind. So here is what he wrote relevant to non-thinking. When you're thinking, your mind and my mind are different. When you cut off all attachments to thinking, then your mind and my mind are the same. If you only go straight, don't know, then your don't know mind, my don't know mind, and somebody else's don't know mind are the same. Don't know mind. This is because experiencing don't know mind already cuts off all thinking, which means there is no thinking. Not thinking is an empty mind. Empty mind is before thinking. Another name for this is your true self. That is your substance. Your before-thinking mind is your substance. My before-thinking mind is my substance. Then your substance, my substance, this sticks. He holds up a stick. Substance. This, I could hold up the clock. This clock's substance. This paper book's substance. Universal substance. Everything's substance is the same substance. When you keep a don't-know mind, 100%, only go straight, don't know, you and the universe already become one. You are the universe. The universe is you. For teaching purposes, we sometimes call this the primary point. So don't know is not don't know. Primary point is, primary point's name is don't know. Does that make sense? We call it a name, that makes it an object, right? <coughs> but sometimes people call this point mind, or Buddha, or nature, or absolute, or holiness, or energy, or consciousness. There are many, many names people use for this. But originally, the true primary point has no name and no form. There is no speech and no words because this point is before thinking. Only when you keep a don't know mind, 100%, don't know. At that time, you and everything in this universe have already become one. Now I'd like to read about this from Master Hung Shur. Uh, Master Sun Sun Yim had 10 American um, transmitted disciples, and um, many of them are my age, so they're friends of friends of ours.
So I'd like to read from Hong Zhi, who lived in the late ten, in the late ten one thousands and early eleven hundreds, from the book Cultivating the Empty Field. Cultivating the empty field is not a poetic reference; it's literally true. It means the originally empty field of our mind. Cultivating the empty field. So this uh, first, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to read in little uh, bits. So this is relevant to the cliff, to co- approaching the cliff, or hanging from the top of the hundred foot pole and not being willing to let go. It's called stepping from the cliff's edge. Practice in emptiness and forget conditioning as dazzling light gleams from the shadows. When each portion of spirit is luminous and unhindered, the mind of the three times is interpreted and the four material elements are in balance, transparent and marvelously bright. In solitary glory for multitudinous kalpas, a patchrobe monk can practice like this and not be bound by life and death. In upright practice, let go from the edge of the high cliff, not grabbing anything. The ropes around your feet are severed. In wholeness, take one step. The Buddhas and ancestors all do not reach one's own genuine, wondrously illuminating field, which is called oneself. At this juncture, sustain the family business. Just when involved in deliberations, turn around from the stream of thoughts. Turn around from the stream of thoughts. Empty with enduring spirit, pure with enduring illumination, clear and white. Reed flowers and bright moonlight are mixed together. Oars pulled in, the solitary boat drifts past without difficulty. Oars pulled in. That's when you stop rowing and you enjoy the solitary boat. Drifting without difficulty. So that's I'm sure talking about stepping from the cliff's edge. And then these are bits and pieces about how to practice, which are relevant to the theme of the quiet or the empty mind or the clear, bright awareness. This is called the bright, boundless field. The field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. Other emptiness, utter emptiness has no image. Upright independence does not rely on anything. Just expand and illuminate the original truth, unconcerned by external conditions. In this field, birth and death do not appear. The deep source, transparent down to the bottom, can radiantly shine and can respond unencumbered to each speck of dust without becoming its partner. The practice of true reality. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent introspection, When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. This empty, wide-open mind is subtly and correctly illuminating, spacious and content, 
without confusion from inner thoughts of grasping, effectively overcome habitual behavior and realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. You must be broad-minded, whole, without relying on others. Here you can rest and become clean, pure, and lucid. Bright and penetrating, you can immediately return, accord, and respond to deal with events. Everything is unhindered. Sit in meditation and entirely cut off causes and conditioning and language of the three times, past, present, and future. Reaching this, you cannot attach to a single dust mote. Only in silent serenity is the self known, full-spirited in its own glory, no stranger to sages, not diminished with worldly people, meaning not diminished when you are working with worldly people. From the beginning, only this is the single affair of the old home. When the field is secure and familiar, when the great work is like a clear, cool pond, then you will see the empty kalpa. Do not allow a hair to bind you or permit a fiber to screen you, screen you from reality. Be supremely empty and bright, pure, round, and glorious. This is how a patch-robe monk steadily practices, naturally without edges or seams. In daytime the sun, at night the moon, each in turn does not blind the other. So he's talking also about our functioning. And I talk about it as walking back and forth. So our daily functioning doesn't blind us to our ultimate nature, our true nature. And our true nature doesn't blind us to functioning in the, quote, real world, the outside world. They work together. To gain such steadiness, you must completely withdraw from the invisible pounding and weaving of your ingrained ideas. If you want to be rid of this invisible turmoil, you must just sit through it and let go of everything. Illuminate thoroughly, light and shadow altogether forgotten. Drop off your own skin, and the sense dusts will be fully purified, the eye readily discerning. Right in here, the central pivot turns, the gateway opens. You accord and respond without laboring, and accomplish without hindrance. And then this last reading is about discerning and accepting and accepting our function. Discerning and accepting our function in the world. A plowman on the shining field. The shining field is, of course, the field of our awareness. And our practice is plowing it, cultivating it. From the outset, patch-robe monks have this feel that is a clean, spacious, broad plain. Gazing ahead beyond any precipitous barriers, within the field they plow the clouds and sow the moon. With clear, bright understanding, vast and expansive, the true self accepts its function. Without emerging or disintegrating, whether in a position of receiving or releasing, 
and he talks more about practicing that way. Then you have the opportunity to go home. Just then, what do you know? For 150,000 acres, you can see the cold, pure, shining snow. Observing this well, one can be a strong plow person. Patro monks roam the world, constantly emptying and expanding their minds. Without the slightest remnant held inside, they can respond appropriately, not hindered by beings, not tangled up by dharmas. Openly appearing and disappearing, you can freely share, but if merely involved in intellect, you will be buried. If embodying pure maturity, then you can naturally journey at ease among the 10,000 changes without touching them and without turning away from them. Box and cover, arrow points meet, harmoniously hitting the mark. Whether releasing or gathering up externals, eliminate all leaking. Such a person can fulfill the family business. Accept your function and be wholly satisfied. In the entire place, you are not restricted. The whole time, you still mutually respond. So wherever we function, we are not restricted by the place. And we mutually respond to what comes forward. Such a person can fulfill the family business. Hogan and I are engaged in the classic family business, handed down to us by our teachers, with a promise never to let it die. And all of you are welcome to join us in that business, which you have done during this session. This is my second favorite quote from Dogen Zenji. This is especially appropriate for those who sat through the night. Stagnant water hides a dragon. In the entire earth, there is no person. At midnight, holding this with empty hands is called practice for three immeasurable kalpas and another hundred kalpas. So our practice goes on and on and on. It is never, ever finished. And this is my first favorite quote from Dogen Zenji. Mm -hmm. A deluded person and an enlightened person at the same time use one boat, and each is not obstructed. Every person, every being, every one of you has, is enlightened nature. Please keep on practicing until you realize this more clearly than Hogan and I do. That is the true prayer of teachers. Then the Dharma will continue to provide relief from suffering and a life of contentment and ease and wonder to you and to many people and other beings. Thank you. <laughs>